0: Welcome to The Age of Audio. My name's Graham Brown from the award-winning podcast agency, Pickle & Co. The Age of Audio is a series of conversations with thought leaders and change makers in the world of audio. That's podcasts, radio, and social audio converging with big data to create engaging and authentic content for a new generation of listeners. Ron, welcome. It's been a while since <laughs> we spoke last yep. couple of years. Man, it's been a that. while.
1: I haven't seen you in a couple of years. And uh, a lot have happened since ha- happened since then. And again, thank you very much for inspiring me with that roadcaster that I
0: saw <laughs> in the flesh. <laughs> you love that, <laughs> right? That, is, that was the beginning yeah. of the, the tech journey. But so, a lot's happening for you. You've raised a, a successful round. You've grown. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've grown your team. And obviously, we've had this very strange year last year. Correct. Uh, maybe we can start there. I mean, Philippines, obviously, it's a market which absorbs a lot from the outside world because it's English speaking as well. So, you know, you get a lot of media influence from the US. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's quick to pick up on technology. as a young market as well. Right. Uh, if we were to look at the last year, so 2020 as a year, COVID hit the Philippines hard. What did that mean for podcasting there? So, podcasting really
1: had hit an inflection point last year when lockdown started to happen. Just that—that that was a knee-jerk reaction of our government. And just to provide context, when we first met around 2019, I didn't even have a network yet. I just had a podcast, right? Mm. And um, when I started my own podcast called Hustle Share, I was again trying to give us a, a spotlight to the local. Filipino startup entrepreneurs because we felt I, I've always felt that there were, we were underserved on the stories that were being put out there right because you know we have no unicorns we have don't, we don't have big exits yet compared to our neighbors. So I said hey you have, you have to put these stories out there because you know through that you'd inspire more entrepreneurs to, to do it And in that process I also saw that there was a big gap or there's a big room to fill in the space of podcasting. Because at the start of 2019, around March or April, only 20% of the top 200 podcasts in the Philippines were Filipino-made. 80% were foreign-made. And there's a lot of consumption happening. Like, why? Hmm. Right? And the the, the surprising thing is there's common problems across the board. First one, the quality of audio varied differently. (laughs) So much. Some of them... Again, the gold standard is how you sound, how the US uh, podcast sound. But there are shows that are even ranking that sound like they're in the bathroom. So it sounded so mm-hmm. amateur. Like, how can we solve that? Number two, people didn't know how to monetize. Like, how come they don't know? And because again, uh, of two things, they don't know their data and they how to interpret that data. And number four, uh, number three is they don't know how to cross promote and grow their their shows. So I said. Hmm, maybe this is an opportunity where we can create a vehicle that supports as many shows as possible to help them sustain their shows and they don't pod fade, right? Because there's a study now recently that, you know, there's uh, over a million shows that are rest less than yeah. 10 episodes in, right? And then they just die. Right. So how do you create that sustainability and allow them to really create a decent living out of this uh, one piece at a time? That's why we created Podcast right. Network Asia. And when we started it around 2019, it was gaining traction. But when the lockdowns happened, at, before the lockdown, we were, what we were doing was we were the one pitching shows. And then when the lockdowns happened, the, the inflection point happened, and everybody started creating content. And they needed a vehicle because they didn't know how to do it. So naturally, they gravitated towards us. So mm. when we, the lockdown happened, there was only like around 20 podcasts that we were supporting. And then at the end of uh, – as I speak right now, when we're recording this, we already have 115 shows.
0: Mm. So it just grew like crazy. <laughs> I didn't even know. We, yeah, we did that. Yeah. So when somebody comes to you and that mm-hmm. now that people are pitching you for shows, mm-hmm. what, what is the attraction? of a network to a show host? Is it the promotion? Is it the advertising revenues? What, what is the deal for them?
1: So the way we always explain it, there's four pillars of how we try to provide value into the podcasting ecosystem as Podcast Network Asia. So the first one is obviously cross promotion. I mean, uh, co-production. We don't own the show. We own none of the 115 shows that we have in the network. We co produce hmm. it and we work on revenue share alone. We become partners and we provide everything and we invest everything in order for them to create shows for, for the long term. Right. So that's it because you already solved the problem of, you know, the quality being bad. We send them microphones. We give them access to our studio. We assign them producers. We now have around 12 producers when we started without just two. Right. To really go hand in hand and handhold a podcaster, that whole thing, uh, to to create their content. Now, we always say that our, our podcast network is not for everybody. It's like the Noah's Ark. Because in order for us to support a show, we need to be able to ROI on it. Mm-hmm. We want to monetize that show. Because if we don't monetize that show, we'll also sink the whole boat. So we can't afford to do that. So before, when we started out, you're podcast should have at least 200 listeners per episode because at that time you're in the 50th percentile of all podcasts in the world already now we raise the bar to at least 500 listeners per app because we notice that at 200 listeners per app we still can't monetize it quite well at 500 Uh listeners per app you're half a cpm already you're almost there there's a pulse Mm. Uh, to what we're doing. Second thing is cross-promotion by creating a network that cross-promotes all each other's shows within, within uh, again, our, our institution or organization. We've seen that our, our our shows grown exponentially at a pace of 25% new listeners per month on month across the board. So it's like, wow. Mm. That's all organic. Third, obviously, is creating a technology that allows you to really gauge a podcast strength. And that's why we created Podmetrics, Metrics. So that allows us to really see data en masse. And using that data, that's also what you use to monetize. Now, again, you mentioned it earlier that there's multiple streams of income in a podcast because you can't just force it through advertising. Because if you're just only going to use advertising, only the top 5% of podcasts will get monetized. There's a lot more that are good content that just don't have that ability to monetize. So the the other way that we unlocked that was through affiliate marketing. Last quarter, the, during the during the pandemic, we drove $70,000 worth of sales to Lazada. And that's when we realized like, holy crap, what did we just unlock here? Mm. <laughs> oh my God, podcasts are amazing in, in terms of persuasion and conversion, which you don't get in other digital media at the moment. And that's because we're able to really drill down on a certain topic in
0: a value proposition how, how's that actually happening? To walk us through the mechanics. If I'm a podcast host, yeah, how am I actually marketing these products? So
1: there's there's ways to do it, and what we do is we try to remove the skill gap by providing them spiel's to get that done. So you all you need as a podcaster, all you need to do is sign up to Podmetrics, integrate your data source, whether it's Anchor, Chartable, or if you have YouTube or and and Facebook Live, you get that done. And then the, you apply on the affiliate marketing campaign that you want to do. Then we give you a link mm. or a promo code. And that's what you plug during your show. Whether, now, we give you complete liberty on where you're going to put it, whether it's a mid-roll, post-roll. And some people even go double down and post about it in their social media stuff. And then they, the, the, the call to action is to click on the link as they purchase something in Lazada. And whatever that person does in Lazada, as long as they went through the link, they get a commission out of that. What kind of things sell well on podcasts? It's funny because it varies d- depending on the podcast that promotes it. So there are shows that are barely 200 listeners per app, but they have a very high end listenership. You know, you've seen Dyson vacuum cleaners, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, things over a thousand to two thousand dollars in one basket, per se, one cart, right? And there are shows that have more listenership. But less um, market value, and they they tend to bend. So you, you go for volume in those types of shows, right? So it's it's very interesting, but it really resonates to the type of audience that show attracts.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. I haven't really seen affiliate marketing done on mass in a network with podcasts before. I've seen it done individually. I you know you, you can see people promoting products mm-hmm. on an individual basis. Maybe they've got it for ClickBank or some other source, yet using a podcast network for that end, usually people Mm. do that in other markets for the purpose of bulk inventory for advertising. And yet, you know, you're applying it to affiliate marketing. Why do you think that's worked for you? Is it just because nobody's tried it or is it because it's uniquely adapted to the Philippines? Or what do you think? No, I think there's two components. Uh,
1: The first one is the way we've designed the company is that we're really acting like a partner of the podcaster. So before we even throw them a link or whatnot, we really have a very integral team that does community work. When we say community work, it's really taking care of what it is the podcaster needs to drill down the value prop. Because if they don't understand the value proposition that it does for their user, they won't do it. So you have to sell it in-house first and then sell them. Again, we don't own none of these shows, so we had to make Mm the money. And it has to be natural to them that they'd want to endorse it to their listeners, and by doing that, you have a human touch that allows them to really understand what's in it for their listener, and then the tech is just the automation part of it. Hmm. Right. So there is a there is a human relationship component that allows within the network and also within the users of PodMetrics. That tells them why they need to do this and how easy it is to get it done. So, still a lot of heavy lifting up front, but when you see it with strength in numbers, my goodness, it's
0: monumental. Hmm. Fascinating. What then does that do for you in terms of that talent identification? Like you say, you know, you will take on new shows that you know you can monetize. So, you must have a good eye for what works. Obviously, you've mentioned, for example, 200 to 500 episode, uh, per episode. Now you've raised the bar on that. But there must be a lot more that, to it than that. You can identify what kind of podcast, and importantly, the host, is going to work in your network. W- what are the telltale signs you look for in talent when they walk through the door? So the, the main metric we look for is clout,
1: right? prior clout and uh, domain expertise. And there are already uh, telltale sa- signs, like what you said. That that shows that. So number one, are you a domain expert of what the hell you're trying to do? Because sometimes it's a mismatch. Some some people would come to us and like, hey, I want to do a show about motoring, and nobody knows you for motoring. So again, hmm. that's already a mismatch. So it has to be a domain expertise where people respect you for it. Number two, do you have a ready audience? Right. A lot of people like would go like, Hey, yeah, I am an expert, but do people know you for this? Right? <laughs> and whatnot. Where where is your go to? Audience is going to exist, LinkedIn, Facebook, Clubhouse, doesn't matter. Mm. If if there isn't a ready audience, it's going to be hard because you're building an audience from scratch. And number three, the intangibles is basically the hustle. How persistent are you going to be here? Are you just going to be here because everybody else is now podcasting? Or are you persistent that, hey, this might be a long drag, but you're going to have to plow it through with us. And if mm. you commit and we see that that commitment is there and you consistently churn out content week on week, when we see typically in a span of one, two, three months, they're already charting.
0: Mm. What do you f- think is the formula for success for these hosts? If you were to go back to 2019 when you were starting out, you probably had an idea of what that was. And yet now with 100 plus posts through the door and more mm-hmm. you've seen ones that you thought would have been successful and weren't and then ones you kind of maybe were less sure about that really surprised you what, what did you now know about the formula for success that you yeah. can kind of teach other people sure it's eerie because it's very similar to how the startup game
1: is right and number one it's grit <laughs> Right? Mm. Are you here to be cute? Are you here to be popular? Because if you want to be popular overnight, then you have to go to TikTok, Instagram, whatever, where you can be an overnight success. But in podcasts, it's hard to wing it because it's all about substance and education at the forefront. You can't just you know thra- throw random stupid uh, content out there. It, this, is, this is an intellectual medium. So you mm. have to be uh, gritty in a way to... Always refuel your tank to put content that's valuable with your target audience, right? Uh, Number two is being able to really communicate well. And I hate to say it, but there is a mighty skill gap in podcasting. I've seen people that are domain experts but have... Challenges in terms of communicating how they want to do it, and that's where they really drop the ball. Mm. And for us, that's really where you you match the right show format to do it. So, like for example, uh, Masters of Scale, right? Mm. Masters of Scale, you know, the host isn't really the best communicator out there, especially if it's a semi-narrative show, right? But they compensate for it by putting really amazing sound effects, similar to how Guy Raz does it in How I Built This, as well that now encapsulates a whole new experience for the listener to get that done, despite mm. the skill gap. Right. I'm not saying that again, it's terrible, but you know, you've heard more natural people are naturally gifted to, to, to converse and actually to narrate something, but you bridge that with the right show format and then it becomes a hit. Mm.
0: Yeah. I wonder about the first point, the grip, how much that underpins success. We all know that's like the minimum, to become successful as a startup founder and how important that is for making anything long-term a success. The flip side of that is there are plenty of people out there who are plowing away at an endeavor which is going nowhere and refuse to give up because somebody's telling them never give up. And yet, you know, that, that alone is not enough. You think about startups, like how many people are going at the game simply because they don't want to give up? And yet, you know, that they haven't validated the idea, they haven't talked to enough people. Uh, How does that come into play with the analogy with podcasts is that, you know, you you need to kind of identify an audience, an avatar and a need out there first. you, You talk about partnering with people. How much of that education do you do for your hosts? That's where the community team
1: comes in. And again, for every podcast we go through, it what we do is what we don't condescend to them and say, "Hey, your pod, your your content is shit. Your content is bad or whatnot." What we do is we dissect it through something that's uh, neutral, which is data. And huh. we there's it again going back to 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 startups. We have a podcast market fit, right? So when we say a podcast market fit, for us, we always ask this million dollar question, and pretty sure you always ask get asked this too, it's like is my podcast good? What do you think about my podcast? And there's no right and wrong answer to do that, to answer mm. that. But there's one common metric that people always forget to measure if your podcast is good and if you're really resonating with their target market. And for us, it's all about retention. Mm. Show retention. Are you retaining all of how, how many of your listeners that are you retaining from zero, zero, all the way to the end? And if you can, retain at least more than 50% of your listeners by the 70 70 at uh, the 75% mark. That means you have podcast market fit. Hmm. All you need to do is scale that. But I've seen a lot of people try to churn out content, but in within the first two to five minutes they already lost 80% of their listeners. That means you have the wrong there's something wrong fundamentally with your show. Now if you see Based on that mark, then you have to ask yourself Is it my audio? I mean, is it the way that I narrate? Is it my guest? Is it the way I talk? Is it my format? Then you can now start experimenting and pivoting, per se, on your podcast rather than plowing through and again, expecting something different to work where, you know, what's just going to, that's just going to do is, you know, create more of what you already see. So for us, it's all about the metrics, and that's what we always say. Uh, we go through our pod metrics dashboard as well, and we dissect that not just with our content creator, but also with the producer that we assign, and also the marketing team that we assign
0: for that show. So it becomes a team effort. Mm. Yeah, it's on the nail. Totally, we we use a similar strategy with our clients mm-hmm. that they. Data has to be the starting point of understanding that something's broken. Otherwise, it's an opinion. And in many ways, you you can... It's like, for example, I mean, if you were running a restaurant, you can get people through the door because you've got the sea view, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, and that's where the coaches turn up with all the tourists in it. But to get them to come back, you've got to have good food and good service, right? And that is keeping them. Coming back. You know, a good restaurant can fill tables Wednesday afternoon when everybody else is empty. Anybody can fill a restaurant Friday night, Saturday night, right? Mm -hmm. But that sort of compounding of growth over time, you only need like a small percentage to compound up every episode. And yet, I think people, it seems like, I don't know how it is with your network and in the Philippines in particular, it seems that a lot of people are still grasping for this idea that you can build a podcast with guests and to me it's like okay that's kind of table stakes that gets you into podcasting right you've got to have interesting guests right but to grow the guests to grow the podcast you need to be an interesting host you need to engage you need to keep people coming back on Wednesday Wednesday afternoon equivalents right yeah that's missing how are you seeing people evolve in that sort of you know, that sort of mindset because, you know, that sort of man speaks to man about man's mm-hmm. interview and Then man shares it with man's network. Right. It's kind of, that's a bit old school now. And I think we're trying to get right. away from that and build consistent narratives and build a reason to come back. Right. And what we always say, and again, this is personal to
1: me because my, my, my format is interview format, right? And the, the danger with doing an interview format is that you're always, as your show's health it's only as good as your last guest. Because hmm. you can be the constant in there. You can ask the same question, deliver it the same way. But the danger of interview podcasts is that, again, people only go to your show because of who you interview. So you always have to churn up a very interesting yeah. or a you know top-level uh, thing. And if you you know dip from that, you'll see the numbers dip as well. Now, if you come up with shows, and if, this is what I've seen with Podcasts that that really grow exponentially, they develop an audience not not because of who they guess, but because of how they they again give that experience to that listener, and they find that magic formula or again podcast market fit that allows them to resonate and even persuade people to do it. So I'll give you examples of how they do this. So they don't stop at the podcast level. I've seen we have several shows in PNA that even created their own facebook group mm. and let their 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 listeners converse and dissect everything that they said during the episode share memes would do whatever and you know sometimes they even fight <laughs> in the groups or have healthy mm. discussions to dissect a certain topic and that's where that monthly recurring followers or monthly recurring revenue or whatever that may be come in because that also translates, we've seen, with the people that really support them, you know, in Patreon and whatnot. These are the people that really choose to stick around and invest time to, to the podcast that they
0: like. Hmm. That's really interesting. If you were to go to the world of radio, for example, uh, local radio, which is always fighting to survive back in the day, that they would invest a lot of time in community. They would be out there amongst the community. They would be having their phone-ins know, yeah. their mailbag. I mean, this is the old-school analog social media, right? That's how they did uh-huh. it. And yet, you know, that they knew that to be relevant, to connect, they needed to be part of the community. And yet, now we're in this world of podcasting, it seems that these – tactics which you talk of Ron is what everybody should be doing in some way is having that community built around the podcast to okay. allow that because otherwise without that you're going to be firstly you won't know who your audience is very well and secondly you won't make them part of that journey and that's kind of missing i see a lot of people you know if if we were in radio right now we would have phone ins we would have you know the mailbag we would be out there at the events and so on and yet it seems that a lot of podcasts seem to forget that that is important. Maybe maybe people just don't know yet. Maybe people don't know that that's necessary, and they will have to learn. Yep. But what you're doing in building those communities with with the hosts and showing them what's possible—that's the way forward. I wonder how you do that in the world of business where you have you know corporates involved. I can understand if it's sort of a more you know smaller businesses, but how do you pitch that to a corporate? So the the corporate the branded
1: podcast is all about again making the narrative not revolve around the brand, right? It's it's very similar, but you made it make it revolve around the community they're trying to to serve or they're they're trying to to help, right? So for example, we have a branded podcast called Wyeth Parent Team. Obviously, it's for Wyeth, and the challenge of Wyeth was they cannot sell milk to. To parents, uh, with with kids under four years old, apparently there's some milk code I never understand. I don't have a, mm. I don't have kids yet. So the story that they wanted to revolve around with was revolved around, um, parenting. There's a big overlap, obviously, because they're now talking about you know parenting, and of course the subliminal upsell there is to buy their milk. But if you talk, if you build a community about that. Let all these parents talk about smart parenting or whatever that may be. Then you own the story. You own the community. And you have become the the, the voice of that community. And, Mm -hmm. And then the conversation starter. And it will always trickle down with
0: the brand. That's great. I love it. What do you think about podcasting? Or what do you believe about podcasting that the world tends to disagree with you on? And that will come to the fore in the next two years? Two things. I think we're just in the middle of
1: crossing the chasm from... Getting all these early adapters into becoming a prop, a, a mass market medium, hmm. and in order for us to cross that chasm, this is where a lot of people disagree with me. Ed. Podcasting is a business because it's hard to sustain long term content like this without being incentivized to keep doing what you're doing well. Right, and our job at least in p and through our pl- product pod metrics is to find the right mix of moneta- mon- monetary uh, incentives that we can give to the content creators that they are incentivized uh, naturally to support them to keep doing that content so they don't pod fade so that they can allocate a little bit of resources, you know, get paid a little bit or if they want a little bit more. Again, depending on their, their metric. So when it becomes a business, Then you'll see after, then we'll properly cross the chasm, and you've seen what happened with YouTube, right? YouTube exploded because all of a sudden everybody makes money. And when Mm -hmm. there's a proper positive monetary uh, reinforcement in there, the rest will come. So I think we're just right at the start, and we're crossing that chasm. And the way we cross that chasm into the next phase is monetization Mm -hmm. and,
0: and turning this to a business. By definition, that will then reward those who learn the rules of the game over time, right? And obviously, the consolidation of assets like you have in a network favors those who are part of the network. By default, that also means that those who aren't in it will be penalized. I mean, as with YouTube, isn't it? It's harder now to Mm. get views as it is on... Let's take Google as an analogy, right? Right. You know, there were there was a time some years ago when you could create a website, hustle for six months and get onto yep. first page with your keywords, right? Mm-hmm. That's gone. Like You now have to buy websites with existing traffic. And I'm going to say that that's going to happen again in podcasts, right? In the sense mm-hmm. that if it is crossing the chasm and it is becoming a business, therefore, that those that have the resources will game it. As as you would naturally, you you would invest right. in promotion, you would invest in knowledge, yeah. and you know distribution and so on. So that you know, if we sort of let's think forward, what, what it's going to look like in a couple of years, we're going to have a world where, of course, production values will increase in some yep. form. You know, like crappy audio won't be as ubiquitous as it is now. Mm-hmm. And, and and the same point is is you're going to have it's going to be harder for people to make a business out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Because there'll be guys who have, you know, knowledge. So that's mm-hmm. going to be interesting. I mean, there's gonna a lot more people podcasting, but a vast majority of them are going to get nothing, right? You know, because of the numbers. Uh, this is also where I kind of disagree because it's not zero
1: sum. Um, if you're talking about advertising, yes, only the top 5 3% will get that. But if you're talking about a middle-tier podcast or barely, again, with a podcast at 200 listeners per, and I'll I'll double down on what Tim Ferriss said, right? He said 1,000 true fans paying X amount. Mm -hmm. But in podcasting, you can even lower it down to to what the Patreon guy said, that maybe all you need is 100 true fans paying you a higher uh, amount to keep your show going. It doesn't have to be monetarily, like, you know, Millions of dollars. It's mm. enough to incentivize you to keep doing what you're doing so you don't pod fade. right? And I think that's where it is. It, these shows that have a feeling of being having uh, having the ability of having a level playing field versus where it's top heavy, yes, advertising would always be top heavy, unfortunately. but there are other ways to monetize your shows through subscriptions, mm. through affiliate marketing which we're all going to have in pod metrics anyway that levels the playing field for everybody else
0: everybody can find 100 true fans in theory correct that just correct. requires a little bit of work and caring about something enough isn't it that you care exactly. about something that other people are passionate about and 100 people the beauty is it's global as well right that makes it a, a you know you're joining the dots between people who care about stuff regardless really of nationality or even language in some case right so it's yep. interesting how that's going to evolve over time when you when you just in the last question when you think about how that plays out with spotify and apple you know what what do you think cuz th- these guys are obviously going to start doubling down on their models as well so spotify obviously is introducing or it's got paid advertising now Um, You can run for 250 bucks, you can run an ad campaign on Spotify, right? And then, you know, Apple has, I mean, there's a lot of talk about Apple offering micropayments. Because, you know, you think about iTunes is geared as a mechanism to take small payments, right? So it shouldn't be too difficult then to, you know, subscribe to content through iTunes, Apple podcasts, right? What are your thoughts on those two players in terms of how that's going to play out over time? Do you have any convictions on that? in asia the, the name the the name of the game is
1: always hyper localization right yes you can have an app to consume it so spotify is doing an amazing job in apple because again is uh, is always there but if you really want to help podcasters earn money you have to give two things number one control over how they can monetize their show number two is how they can monetize their show in the easiest way possible and in asia you know more is, more is better, right? Like, for example, all these wallets, the Grab wallet, Gojek wallet, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's omnichannel all the time because even if you want to force it to like a Spotify payment and more so in Apple pay, uh, payments, you know, uh, a lot of people are still unbanked in developing countries in Southeast Asia. Singapore is an outlier because, you know, Singapore is, you know, our, our, our epicenter of of, uh, of prosperity. But in the other countries, Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia, Philippines, there's still a lot of uh, fintech play that needs to play in order for that monetization to happen. Yes, the consumption oh. is, uh, machine is already there. But in order to get real money coming in, you need to diversify. So that's where I think that will head into.
0: You've been listening to The Age of Audio with me, Graham Brown, from the award-winning podcast agency, Pickle & Co. To get access to all the audio conversations and book content for The Age of Audio, go to www.theageofaudio.com. One more time, theageofaudio.com.